It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to the Lockdown Bengals Podcast, part of the Lockdown Network. We're your only daily Bengals podcast. We're your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. You can find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like and subscribe wherever you find your daily podcast. It would help us out a lot. Happy Friday, Bengals fans. Welcome into the weekend mailbag edition of this week's Locked On Bengals podcast. I've been telling you all week, but I'll remind you one more time. When you get into your car, you're going to work, you're coming home from work, tell your smart device to play the locked, play the podcast Locked On Bengals, and it will get our voices right on your speakers for you, and you can hear us talk about your favorite football team. Also wanted to take a moment to wish all of our listeners and maybe remind some of you or reveal to some of you that it is International Women's Day, March 8th, Friday this week. So appreciate the women in your life today. Maybe check out some woman uh, content creators, football writers, whatever it is that you're into. Seek out that content and just show your support today. It's a good opportunity to do so. A little bit of news today before we get into the many, many questions that you've sent us on Twitter. The Bengals hired a new coach that we haven't yet talked about on this show. Gerald Chatham has been hired as a defensive assistant. They announced this the same day they announced Mark Duffner as a senior defensive assistant. We've talked about Duffner. Um, Chatham, This write-up coming from Cincy Jungle, written by Jason Markham, joins the Bengals after spending two seasons at Tennessee State University, where he was a defensive ends outside linebackers coach. He also became the special teams coordinator in 2018. He's another young guy, 30 years old. He's been coaching, though, since 2010, which would mean he's been coaching since he's 22. So maybe, you know, one of those career lifer coach types. Uh, We'll see if he has a significant role. It sounds like he'll be coming on to help with pass rushers. Just another young guy, another college guy. Taylor's talked about liking having a mix of college coaches and NFL coaches. So another college coach onto the ranks. Actually, I see here he was a Texas A&M graduate assistant in 2015, and that's probably a connection. That makes sense. Yep. Not just another guy to round out. I think uh, I saw Paul Denner tweet that this is the largest Bengals coaching staff ever uh so that's interesting and that's something teams are doing where they want specialized coaches at every position and Mm -hmm. for every you know as as each position gets specialized themselves you need a coach to coach it yeah 
And as Rob Weintraub, who writes for Football Outsiders, he's a Bengals fan who lives down in Georgia. He said, you got to have a, a healthy stable full of interim coaches for when you when you fire guys. That's true. Yeah. Uh, other news today, it sounds like Case Keenum is being traded from Denver to Washington, which means those of us, those of you, I'm not going to let myself into this group necessarily, dreaming on Andy Dalton being traded to Washington for picks can probably put that dream to bed. This is a big blow to a lot of fans, I think, uh, just by the reaction on Twitter, I think, today. Uh, it was, you know, I, I, everyone always felt, well, if the Bengals do trade Dalton, if they want to trade for him, there's got to be the, it's got to be the Redskins. It's got to be Jay Gruden that would give up assets, just in the same way we felt maybe Hugh Jackson would give up assets for A.J. McCarron. And uh, it's not going to happen now, not after trading for Keenum. It wouldn't be an upgrade to trade for Dalton, especially they got Keenum for pennies. And uh, and I don't just mean the salary, too, because they, they apparently are reworking his deal to make it even cheaper. And I posted on Twitter the, the comparison over the last two years between Andy Dalton and Case Keenum, and it's almost dead even in almost every statistical category and grading system, But speaking of PFF also. And he's going for a swap of a sixth and a seventh round pick. Well, it doesn't make Is you feel really good. Yeah, it doesn't make you feel really good about what Dalton's value would be. You know what? I think that people around the league probably think more highly of Dalton than Keenum, but when you look at the PFF too. grades and some of the stats, yeah, you, you, it doesn't feel great when you think about his trade value. But it's kind of a moot point, too. I think he's playing out this year, and we'll see what happens next year. No, but you kind of hope that even if they had one eye on the next quarterback, whoever that may be, even if it's this draft or next draft, that they would be open if you know Redskins knock on the door, hey, we'll give you a second-round pick that they'd be open to listening to that yeah. understanding that the you know we're at the 11th hour of probably Andy Dalton's tenure with the Bengals and now you know it's hard to even fathom that scenario ever approaching yeah well from the Redskins is what i mean right yeah i mean we'll see who it is next year right but yeah it's not a great feeling when thinking about Andy Dalton's trade value what did Flacco get what did what did they give fifth so you're telling me Joe Flacco's worth, I guess, I mean, so this is the NFL for you, right? I would actually rather have Case Keenum than Joe Flacco to quarterback my team. And I'm, I'm looking it up right now because I, I it may have been a fourth, but I remember uh, the Broncos guy saying it was a fifth and, that, and then someone else saying it was a fourth. So, But it, it's still, even that is extremely um, you know, cheap in terms of getting a baseline level and it's the bottom level starting quarterback in the nfl i think and joe flacco and case keenum so it's cheap 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 trade value this year for veteran quarterbacks yeah uh so we'll get into questions from here what do you think all right let's do it first question comes to us from sean at sean whitehead underscore on twitter he says John Sullivan has been cut by the Rams. Would you sign him on a one-year deal and move Price to right guard, draft a right tackle, and call the offensive line set? I would be interested, I guess, in this um, proposition, basically because signing a free agent offensive lineman seems like a a necessary move if you're really going to try and win in 2019. And while I don't think they'll break the bank for any starter at tackle, or even really when you look at the guards, it'd be uh, any of the young guys are going to command more than what the Bengals would be willing to pay based on their history. But Jonathan Sullivan, him especially coming from 
the Rams would have some connection. Here's the thing. He's 34 years old this year. He's coming off his worst season as a pro, even though he played 1,200 snaps, almost 1,300 snaps for the Rams last year. He barely grades, based on pro football focus, above Billy Price, gave up four sacks, 43 pressures, and had eight penalties. Um, you're not signing a good center at this point. You're hoping maybe he can give you another year if he you know, gets a boost of energy back in him, but it, this just might be the end of his career. The other thing is it's really not the Bengals' way to take a guy who's a first-year starter at center and say, you know what, we're going to move you, and we're going to bring in this other guy who had a really bad year last year. It's just – Billy Price was a rookie, right? And I'm not saying that he's going to come out here and blow our socks off in his second year, and I'm not even necessarily terribly optimistic about him, although we have had some fans in our mentions saying, he was hurt, he was a rookie, he'll be fine. That's probably an OSU fan, I guess. The Bengals' way is going to be to run Billy Price out there for probably his entire rookie deal, to be honest with you. And if he doesn't get better, he doesn't get better. And then it'll be Russell Bowden again, except to send this man a first-round pick on him. Right. And it's also not the Bengals, uh, you know, kind of personality to take on a one-year veteran deal. I'm saying this as I, I stumble because I just thought, well, they did Preston Brown last year, a one-year deal, and they've done linebackers, but linebackers. they've never really done it. Yeah, they've done it at linebacker. They've never really done it anywhere else. Bobby Terrence, Terrence Newman, Adam Jones, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong on this, and one-year deals are something they would do. On the defensive side of the ball, for sure. On the offensive yeah. side of the ball, you look, and who? what are offensive free agents that they've signed? I can only think of Bobby Williams right now. I know there's got to be, be Brandon more. LaFell, right? LaFell, sure. Yeah, L- receivers. Uh, Lavernius Coles, they tried. Wait, Coles was like a three-year. Antonio Brown was a three-year, I believe. So they invested in those guys. Antonio Bryant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Antonio Brown. Man. What's our next question, Joe? The next one is from Taylor G. He goes by at TJG21 on Twitter. He says, why do a lot of Bengals fans hate Sean Williams? I didn't know that they hated Sean Williams until you sent this question in, Taylor, but they shouldn't because he's perfectly fine. He's he's probably better than average for what he's asked the Bengals to do. Maybe the Bengals fans look at Troy Polamalu and Ed Reed and they think, why don't we have – safeties on my favorite team who are as good and game changing game changing as Troy Polamalu and Ed Reed and now they have Jesse Bates and now there's this dichotomy of of flashiness and everyone's like we need another Reggie Nelson and now they have that and then you look at Sean Williams who's an in-the-box guy who but made just as many plays on the ball as did Jesse Bates in 2018 has had clutch interceptions especially against the Steelers in that robber coming underneath a seam route or something like that same way reggie nelson did he's playing the same strong safety role that nelson did those last few years in his career so to answer your question i don't know why bengals fans hate sean williams maybe it's because he was a fourth round pick and i don't know the safeties are kind of just they're just kind of there for a couple years but i don't i don't know i would say based on the mentions i get uh, the penalties, he's had some dropped interceptions. He's not fantastic in man coverage. Obviously, he's a bigger box safety. Uh, Very few so, safeties are fantastic in man coverage, but continue. Exactly. And also, I, I blame myself partly because I was really low on him coming out of the draft. Uh, not to say I have that type of effect on people, but it's your I fault. also took. Yeah, right. I also talk about moving him to linebacker, and that's not a negative. And, and sometimes I get people in my mentions when I say this. 
saying, what's wrong with Sean Williams? He was fine last year. And I'm like, I know this. I like Sean Williams. My point is teams are using safeties at linebackers throughout the league now, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he'd be really good at it. So it's not a knock on him at safety. It's that I think he's actually really versatile and could help them a lot at linebacker. Yeah, the only knock I have on Sean Williams is is – sometimes not playing the ball when you could play the ball and some of those penalties are a little you know you'd 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 like to see him cleaned up but what can you do i mean that's part of playing safety yep uh next question comes in from e james at skyline 315 and he says would you rather trade your second rounder for josh rosen or keep your second round pick and spend a third this year on will greer i think you're getting great value for each one of these quarterback prospects uh, Rosen for a second, which I would have spent a first on him last year, or Will Greer in a third, and I would spend a second on him this year. And I like Rosen a lot. Uh, I liked him a lot last year. I think he'd be probably the first quarterback taken this year, unless you know a team like really. I, I don't think uh, it's the Cardinals taking Kyler Murray, or else I'm not sure Kyler Murray goes in the top ten because he's not for everyone. Uh, so I think Rosen in most drafts would go before Murray would and even though he had a he had a poor rookie year I, I, I'm still decently high on him but at the same time I'd love to spend that second round pick at linebacker or offensive tackle or tight end and then you telling me I can get Will Greer in the third who I think is probably going to go in the second round if not higher honestly I wouldn't be surprised if Will Greer went in the late first round mm-hmm. uh, I like Greer I think the production metrics like some PFF likes him. I like him on tape most of the time. I like his traits on tape, not the whole picture. There are parts of Will Greer I really, really like and parts that I want to take a chance on. And because of it, I kind of lean towards that because I think it's a fair roll of the dice at a cheap price to pay for a quarterback. You know who I think should draft Will Greer is the Patriots. Yeah, I think that would be – I think the Patriots should draft any quarterback that's remotely interesting. And and Will Greer does a lot of really good things on tape. He had a very high percentage of of big-time throws, according to Pro Football Focus. This is difficult throws that are game-changing a lot of the times. He also had some turnover-worthy throws, but you get him in there with the institutional knowledge that they have in New England, playing behind Tom Brady, learning from Belichick, learning from Brady. That's probably a best landing spot for Will Greer. So to answer this question... It's really challenging for me, right? Because looking at some of the metrics and some of the grading on Will Greer, you'd think maybe he should actually be the second quarterback taken this year. Yep. Behind and Kyler Murray. Some have said that. Yeah, and, and some Vance Meek, who is a sometimes Bengals fan, he gets frustrated with the team, I think. But that's his top quarterback. So some people would say, yeah, third round on Will Greer, that's knockout value. And Drew Rosen, or Josh Rosen, sorry, we've seen what he did in the NFL, and he's not worth a second-round pick anymore. But if if Josh Rosen does get traded, I would imagine it would be for probably more than a second-round pick. So you're getting surplus value, I think, at either of these spots. I would probably do the second-rounder for Rosen and, and, yeah. and, and start him with the idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him in year one and try to trade Dalton, but... I wouldn't fault you for either of these. Yeah, that's a part I consider then also that you could potentially start Rosen in in 2019 and trade Dalton for assets and you know you coop more. You know uh, you could you could trade you could trade him and start Greer too though if you really wanted to. Yeah, if you wanted to, I don't think ideally you want to start a third round quarterback if you don't have to. But the last few that have gone in third fourth round, Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, they started as rookies. So if you're good, you're good. Yep. Anyways, let's go to the next one. It's from BKN Bengal Boy on, at Twitter. 
He says, do you see the Bengals actually being active in free agency with the new coaching staff? I hope so. Also, who is your dream pick at number 11? Do I see the Bengals being active in free agency with this new coaching staff? I don't think that the coaching staff will have an impact on the Bengals' activity level in free agency. I think that you could see the Bengals spend more in free agency or be more active in free agency because there's a new coach. Not because specifically it's this coach or because the coach wants it, but because they want to restore excitement in the team and sell tickets. They've had an issue selling tickets for the last couple of years. So I think that for that reason, if you want any sliver of hope for them being active in the first two weeks of free agency, that's it. As far as who my dream pick is at 11. Dream. So not just reasonable dream pick. Come back to me in one second, Joe. Okay. I got, I I had a point for your um, coaches. Are they going to affect free agency anyways? They might because familiarity helps in, in signings in free agency. The Bengals have a small pro personnel department. uh, So I think signing outside guys is often scary. And, when you're investing large money that that free agency brings, uh, it makes those acquisitions even scarier for a team like the Bengals. But if you have a coach that has worked with these guys or or has coached them or has better connection with them, uh, that can bring some trust and some familiarity that I think the Bengals would really covet in in the off season. Who's your Who's your guy at eleven? I was going to say Kyler Murray. Only because, and you know I don't love the idea of taking an outlier, and he is because of his size. Uh, I can't ignore the production metrics and grading and what I see on tape of just fun, excitement, how he would change the idea of what the Bengals are and can be over the next you know, generation, the next four or five years. Uh, and I think if they did that, I'd be like, let's go. Sure. Uh, just to be different because I've been a Kyler Murphy truther, truther on this podcast in the past, Quinn and Williams, because I don't sure. think there's any way he's there at 11. And I think he's an absolute game record defensive tackle. Yeah. Think about it. Like Quinn and Williams, Nick Bosa, the guys we expect to be gone. If any of them are there somehow, because something happens in the next month and a half. Uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. We've talked about that Oliver a lot. You're telling me you can get Quinn and Williams there. I mean, this is a dream scenario, right? But Right, right. Our next question comes from John at underscore John underscore Harden underscore. Lots of underscores in John's name on Twitter. Why in mocks do you go for best player available in the first and then need in the second? To me, it seems like you should go for need in the first where you may get, say, the 12th best player on your board instead of the sixth in terms of best player available, which isn't a large gap. Whereas in the second round, you might get the 15th player on your board instead of, say, the 42nd where the Bengals are picking this year, since someone always falls. Yeah, I think John's referencing some of our mock draft Mondays and some of the other mocks we've done uh, where we say, hey, Ed Oliver's there. How can we ignore it? He's high on our board. Uh, I think, and this was probably true for NFL teams, or at least you you hear it is and read it is, uh, when you create, actually sit down and and create a board, we don't have that right now. If If it was our board it gets influenced by needs and it does for NFL teams too. And they may say, Oh, is the best player available, but really best player available be- means best player available at a need position because you're not just going to take, let's say no, you don't need a defensive end for the Bengals or they're not considering defensive end. Let's just say that 
and wide receiver. So you're on the you're on the clock. Number seven player is still there as a wide receiver. Number eight guy still there is a um, defensive end. You want a linebacker, offensive tackle, or you know, let's tight end too. So you're there and you're on the clock at number eleven. The best guys are not need positions, but someone number eleven or twelve is still on the board and it's a need position. You're not going to just take those guys because they're the best player available. You're going to take the best player available at a need position. So for me, when we take an Ed Oliver, it's because we we see it being a need not only this year but in the future. So we're not just going to go out there and take a receiver because it's best player available. We're going to take a, the guy that we feel can help the team positively now and in the future. But I do like the point of the gap of, be, of taking the sixth best player at 11 rather than taking the the 45th best player at 42 because you're trying to fill a need at that point. I think that's how you always end up in trouble, no matter what round or what scenario we can dream up. Drafting for need and ignoring the, the rest of the board can be very dangerous. And we've seen the Bengals do that in the past mm-hmm. when they took Darquez Denard, even though they said he was number nine on our board. You look at other consensus boards around around the draft community. He was nowhere near twenty one, and then they that come board back. Probably didn't have quarterbacks on it, right? Well, probably not, right? <laughs> and then they, you feel like they're eliminating some positions off that board, and then they you, you hear Dave Lapham before second round starts. They're really targeting Jeremy Hill. They really like that Jeremy Hill or Carlos Hyde. So what do they do? They take Jeremy Hill. I mean, they're ignoring the board at that point. They know who they want. And then he goes, watch out for Will Clark and Russell Bodine on day, on, on round three and four. Who do they take? Will Clark, Russell Bodine. Now, are you following your board and letting it fall to you, or are you targeting need positions and going out and taking them? That's when you get in trouble, and we've seen the Bengals do that. Yeah, Latham tipping picks has really been – we'll see if that continues. I wonder if his source is kind of out of the building at this point. The the one thing I wanted to mention here is is you're right that like take if you can you don't ignore value for positional need ideally that's that's the tricky thing when going BPA versus need so if you have to reach into the next round of talent to address a need that's when you're making a mistake like yep. like you said Joe like but if if I'm in the first round the one thing you have to consider when it's six versus twelve even though that's a smaller number gap, that talent gap might be yep. the same as a talent gap from 15 to 45. It's why they call it blue chip prospects right, because exactly. you only give that to maybe six guys on that board. And mm-hmm. if there's one there and it's not a direct need, like let's say an Ed Oliver, um, you, he's a blue chip prospect on your board. Or you could take a guy that you really like that fits a need. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, so so for, for Bengals fans this year, the question is like, is Jonah Williams a blue chip prospect? Is Devin White a blue chip prospect? Is Kyler Murray a blue chip quarterback? And and there's question marks on all those guys. I think probably consensus would be that Devin White is indeed a blue chip linebacker. Yep. But, you know, you ask some guys, they'll tell you Devin Bush has better tape. So that's a draft for you. That's true. And that's what makes it interesting and fun and probably my it's probably, for a lot of people, the most interesting part of the offseason for football. Okay, next question now is from Sean Pembleton at Sean Pem. He says, who are the players that would give you nightmares if our division rivals took them in the first round this year? Um, I'm going to say, like, Brian Burns, if he somehow got to Cleveland or Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, Ed Oliver on, on Cleveland. Yep. Or... No, yeah, mostly Cleveland. Um, one of the linebackers, one of the Devons on Pittsburgh wouldn't exactly. make me very happy. Those are the big ones that come to mind for me. 
Yep. And then uh, for me, oh wait, I got Ra- one more. I was gonna say the Ravens getting a, a, a receiver that I really like. The Browns getting DK Metcalf. Also, I would I'd be scared of him, even though I don't th- feel very highly of him. He could be a dangerous weapon. Uh, the other one I was gonna say is if like Kyler Murray gets to Pittsburgh or something. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. No I haven't even thought of that. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> or, or like even even like Noah Fant or or yeah. T.J. Hawkinson on, I guess probably not Baltimore because they just paid their third string tight end. No, that means they want more tight ends. Seven tight ends, please. They they're the first seven tight end offense in league history. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, they did try to. What they do? They like had the eligible receiver lined up like beside the center. Before or was that the Patriots? No, it was, it was the no, Ravens it was, against yeah, the Patriots. Ravens. Yep. Yeah, so they just want tight ends. They want to put everybody hand in the dirt and have six of those guys be tight ends. Triple and option offense with Lamar Jackson. There you go. Um, next question comes from L1C4 at Dunkines Dunk. Mm, not nope. going to read your name. Duncan's uh, Nuts. I think it's Dunk. Dunk Kinds Nuts? I thought it was Dunk in D's Nuts. Ah, I bet it is Dunk in D's Nuts. I don't know nuts. what that even means. Garen, what do you mean? Garen I'm not going to ask. Dunk in D's Nuts. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm not going to ask what it means. How big of a need do you feel wide receiver is? In a lot of mocks I've done, if we strike out at linebacker and a good offensive line or tight end is not around, I've drafted a wide receiver. Would you draft a receiver in the second or the third? And I, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the second round here because I can't imagine striking out on offensive line linebacker and tight end at 11. Right. I think that's definitely what he means. He's getting to the second and third round. And we had this scenario where we didn't feel great about the picks at 42 in our latest mock. And he's saying there's some need. To, I think we even discussed it for other teams leading up to 42 of, man, there's some good receivers here. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside for one. Uh, but, yeah. I think if you currently look, or if they get to draft day and Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green aren't extended by that point, uh, receiver is a need. And it's a it's not just, uh, it could potentially be an immediate need if they do, in fact, trade John Ross, but it's a developmental and it's a future need also. When you look at this 2020 roster right now on offense, 2020, so we're just a year away from that, it's Andy Dalton, Joe Mixon, John Ross, Cordy Glenn, and Billy Price. Those five guys are under contract, and that's it. They are bare bones going after this year. They need to not only extend the guys they want, but they need to add talent on the offensive side in the form of O-line, receiver, potentially running back and quarterback and tight end. I mean, every position could use a draft pick this year. And and if I'm the Bengals, I am rushing to re-sign, to extend Tyler Boyd, because the numbers that some of these guys that I don't consider to be high-end slot targets are asking for. Beasley, $20 million guaranteed. He's better than Beasley. He's way better than Beasley. I mean, Golden Tate, who's had a fantastic career, is asking for $14 million a year at 33, 32. He's, he's in his 30s, is my point, and he's asking for $14 million a year at this point. Adam Humphreys, who is fine, but isn't close to the production Tyler Boyd put up last year, wants $10 million a year as a slot guy. So he's looking at 12 to $15 million. For a slot guy. Yeah. Do you think the Bengals Be- are going to pay that for a slot guy? I think if they realize how much of the NFL offenses flow through a slot okay, receiver, so, they so, will. Yeah, may- maybe with their new coaching staff, they'll understand 
So looking at the guys available in the second round, is it a wide receiver? Sure. If there's nobody you like at offensive line, at tight end, at defensive line, linebacker. I mean, yeah, there's some, there's certainly positional value to wide receivers. I'm taking a wide receiver there before I'm taking a running back. Yeah. Before I'm taking a safety, probably before I'm taking a corner in this particular class. Maybe, maybe maybe not. You're right. If if they don't resign Denard, then corner gets pushed out. Yeah. So, so sure. Wide receiver can be an option at that point. If if the value is really good. And there's a lot of wide receivers, I think in the top of that second round that are going to be for some NFL team, really good value. And it seems like there's a lot of big athletic guys and a lot of guys that can hang their hat on one thing or two things that they're very, very good at. So it'd be nice to get one of those, but, but, uh, um, only if it's, it's leaps and bounds for me better than other positions that, because there's a lot of positions that Bengals need to draft. This is like the question we just had. Do you take the best player available on your board or do you take a need position? And that's, you know, this is tying in a, a more direct scenario. Yeah. But yeah, if the receiver is, let's say, 18 on your board, it's Hakeem Butler, right? Yeah. Or the offensive lineman, the next one is number 50 on your board. You have to think about it and consider yeah. it because you may go face Akeem Butler in a couple of weeks or a couple of years and you say, you know what, we should have drafted that guy and not wasted that. That's a whole round value of a difference on, on somebody that could potentially be a, a big help to your offense. Yeah, John Ross versus Patrick Mahomes. Boom. I'm done talking about those. Let's go to break. <laughs> oh, we're going to take a quick little break here. I've upset Joe. Listen to an ad for a few seconds. We'll be back to answer some more questions. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. It is your weekend mailbag. You submit questions, we try to answer them. The next one is again from Duncan D's Nuts. And he asks, (laughs) with Gio being a free agent next year and Mark Walton likely to be cut, how big of a need is running back? If Montgomery was there in the third round, would you take him? Or would you wait until later and take someone like Bryce Love? You have to tell me who else is on the board in a vacuum. I'm not taking a running back in the third round this year. In a vacuum, I'm taking a running back in like the fifth round or the sixth round. And I'm not really going to worry about it. Uh, The Bengals don't seem to know how to evaluate running back very. I mean, they hit on Mixon. They hit on Geo. They missed on Jeremy Hill, although Jeremy Hill did have a good first year. And Mark Walton is a real head-scratcher of a pick for me last year. So I don't have much faith in the Bengals running back evals right now. Uh, But regardless, positional value and Bengals need and this class all make me just want to wait until, if I draft a running back at all, the fifth, sixth round. And for me, it's not so much the eval. It's their inability to use two backs in a rotation. Or, you know, and that was the thing I said when they took... Uh, Joe Mixon and 
were like, oh, yeah, we still like Jeremy Hill and didn't cut him or didn't trade him. And then when Rex Burkhead emerged and they still had Geo and, and Hill and they couldn't figure out how to use Rex Burkhead and they still forever, oh. they couldn't they couldn't rotate between Hill and, and Geo. And then we can't see them rotate or get both guys on the field for uh, Bernard and, and Mixon. So but it's like it's pick, hard. It, is it hard? I mean, you no, see other teams. That's do what I'm it. saying. I'm saying it's not like it's hard, and that's why I think maybe it's an eval question because they didn't even try with Burkhead. But sorry, I cut you off. Continue. No, you're right. They didn't try, and that was a huge mistake on their own part. But anyways, where I was going was, so they they don't know how to rotate them. And then when you look at the Rams' offense, it was Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley only until he had a banged up knee towards the end of last year, and they had brought in C.J. Anderson, and then they couldn't figure out the rotation there either. So I don't know that backup running back if Joe Mixon is firing on all cylinders and is healthy is a priority or even much of a value having said that he's dealt with injuries both years now and hasn't really ever carried the load he split it with Samaj P. Ryan at Oklahoma so you may want a good backup and for now that's Giovanni Bernard I don't think you have to invest in running back a year early I think you can do it and they can produce as rookies that we Mm -hmm. have seen every year yeah that's the one position where you feel good about rookies right yeah, but I'll take one because I don't know who their third and fourth guy is right now on the roster. So if we're saying fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, yeah, go ahead. I don't care. Sure. Our next question comes from Dale at Dale Altman. Better option. Number one, sign Quan Alexander or Jordan Hicks and draft Jawan Taylor or Cody Ford to play right tackle. Or two, sign Jawan James or Daryl Williams and then draft Devin White or Devin Bush in the first. That's... uh. That's a uh, toss-up in my opinion, but I will sw- I will lean towards the veteran tackle and then drafting a linebacker. And I say this because I'm going to spend a little bit more. Tackles and free agency tend to get that. But I feel better about Juwan James and Darrell Williams at tackle than I do Cody Ford at tackle. I like Juwan Taylor, but then when I look also, Jordan Hicks has been injured. Quan Alexander has been injured at linebacker. So I'm kind of going on the safe side here even though I may spend a little bit more money doing it this way and waste a little bit of value by going with, give me the veteran free agent acquisition at right tackle, and then I'll draft a linebacker at 11. There's also a difference here in the caliber of the player. Devin White, Devin Bush, you feel really good about his linebacker prospects. Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford, we have questions about. If there's a slam dunk tackle, for me, this becomes option one because, and I feel like we've answered this question before, but because of positional value. You, yep. get your, you get your tackle in the first round where you have that positional value surplus and you find linebackers wherever you can. Because for a long time, the Bengals haven't had good linebackers for like ever. They've had like four good linebackers as far as I remember. Takeo Spikes, Brian Simmons, Vontez Burfick's uh, peak, and Odell Thurman's peak. And the only blue chip player out of these, you know, handful that he's listed here is Devin White, in my opinion. So. Yeah. I think whatever ends up giving me the best sure. player of that group is where I lean. Yeah, so then it's Devin White, and then whatever else, the rest is window dressing. Yep, I agree. Next question now is from RJ Bellu. He goes at RJ247365. That's the combination to his safe, so write it down. He asks, what are your thoughts on Blake Cashman? And do you think Darquez Denard gets resigned? Resigned, I'm sorry. If not, who are some slot guys we should watch? That's a good question about the slot guys you should watch. If they don't re-sign Denard, that, I mean, they probably look at their own roster first, right? Like, they've got the two corners from last year. 
Yeah. Uh, the one of them was hurt, and I'm blanking on both of their names right Devontae now. Devontae Harris and Darius Phillips. Yeah. So they're going to look at those guys first, right? And they're going to think, can I get away with these guys at slot? Do I need to invest money and or a draft pick into the slot corner? Because we do. We've talked about this. We talked about how important the slot is in the NFL right now. We're looking at wide receivers that are about to make $15 million to play the slot, which would have been unheard of even two years ago. The Ravens just re-signed a, I would say, average at best slot corner for what was it like eight point five eight eight million dollars annual average value yeah it was about that yep uh trevon young i believe yeah and, and so that kind of sets the floor for what denard's gonna get yep. there are and, some really good slot guys in free agency this year yep. but you'd have to imagine they're all going to make more than that judging from i don't know baltimore is just signing some weird contracts that are screwing up my perception of what free agents are about to make in their third tight end in this average slot corner they have And I was going to say a lot of good teams end up with one guy on a cheap deal of their three corners. Uh, And there's no reason why the Bengals couldn't find similar production from a rookie deal uh, corner and and to Derek West Denard. And when you look around, I mean, the Patriots continually do it. it. They'll pay one guy, they'll pay another guy that they like, and then they usually have some underrated or low draft pick corner that's playing – uh, whether that's Malcolm Butler or J.C. Jackson last year, and they end up making plays for them. You, the Patriots are an exception to every rule, but using them as an example, a lot of teams find a way to get production from a cheap corner, and I think the Bengals could do that if they pick the right guy. Obviously, that's the caveat to everything, but the first part of his question I think is the most interesting to me, and he says, what are your thoughts on Blake Cashman? And and he's the talk of right now of the draft community because he lit up this the combine i mean tested like a a top end athlete at linebacker he was on nobody's radar because if you watched him he looked like an average kind of player he graded well for people but it's really sometimes that testing that'll really make you rewatch a player and that's the idea so you go back and rewatch him and you go my god he uses this athleticism to win often and now that's a good thing when a guy has the athleticism and doesn't win with it it's okay. What am I doing here? Can I unlock him to turn him into a better player? But Blake Cashman uses his consistently. And when you go put on the tape, and I did this week, and a lot of people, other people did, and you go, okay, he's actually really good, really, really well rounded, um, uses athleticism, athleticism consistently. Man, he's, I don't, don't be surprised if Blake Cashman goes in the top 50, 60. He's a second-round pick, in my opinion, completely. And maybe we weren't aware of him before. And that's completely okay This stuff happens. Uh, for me, I look at Darius Leonard, and he was thought of as a fourth, fifth-rounder going into the combine last year. Tests well. Everyone goes back to the tape and go, you know, I'll take him in the second round. And I think that's where Blake Cashman is right now. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, he tested really well. On that note, I think a lot of linebackers that we thought were going to test poorly or didn't think about before the combine did test really well. And so I think that Cashman isn't the only one. One guy that I'm waiting to see how he tests is Tavon Coney from Notre Dame, who is one of Pro Football Focus's top 100 uh, top 100 players in 2018 as well. He actually graded out better than did Cashman, um, particularly in coverage where he was excellent. Uh, and we're waiting to see his athletic tests come back. So there's there's a few guys. Uh, we talked about uh, Brian Burke-Hervin. Yep. Linebacker is the, is the position we both agreed that we felt stronger about after the combine. Yeah. And, and I actually thought it was interesting because 
I recently read, you know, somebody said, I, this is maybe an overall weak draft class. And I don't really have that feeling right now. I feel like it's actually fairly deep in a lot of, I mean, it's so quarterback, not great. And a lot of draft classes are going to be judged on quarterbacks. And that's not really fair because sometimes you look back and you say, oh, well, you know what? Besides Cam Newton that year, everybody else in the first round sucked. But this year, looking at it from this time, this this before the draft point of view, it doesn't seem great at quarterback. It doesn't seem great at like corner, but it's right. deep at edge. It's deep at defensive. Well, not deep, but the top end talent at defensive tackle is pretty nice. It's crazy. Yeah, it's actually that's the best part of the draft is defensive tackle at the top. Yeah. So I don't know if I buy. I mean, corner is weak for sure. And corner is a big, important position in the NFL. Quarterback isn't perceived to be very strong. There's not a number one receiver. There's not an elite tackle, but there's a lot of tackles that'll go in the first round. There's a handful of receivers that'll go. I really like the receiver class depth. I like the tight end depth. There's a lot of guys in the mid rounds. I'd like to take a chance on Uh, edge rushers is good. is a good first two rounds. I think defensive tackle should be strong through the fourth round linebacker. I'm now adding to that list. So I, I, I think interior offensive line also is much better this year than it was last year, even though we had, Two, two centers go 20 and 21, I think we could end up with a couple guys that go top 40 and be just as good, if not better, in the rookie years. Yeah. So the question is, what are our thoughts on Blake Cashman? I think he's one of, like, five guys that were productive in college and then tested well at the combine or that I want to see how they'll test at their pro day. He's on the radar at 42 now. Yeah. Well, okay. I, guess, I mean, is he? On the rate? radar. Yeah, at, I think you have, to be, you have to be, yeah. Because it, honestly, when you watch his tape and you match it with the production and the uh, the athleticism, he's don't be surprised that he won't be there in the third round for the Bengals. No, I, not, honestly, no, when you watch but, it. But like mid-second mid, mid second round. Fine. But that means the Bengals are at 42, picking what? Eighth or so? Or 10th? Um, it, it that means you have to be aware of that, I, that I choice. Know. I get it. Well, and think of mock draft Monday when we got there and we didn't like any of the linebackers, right? Yeah. We took Greg Little. Not that that was a terrible pick, but we got there and we said, man, we really don't like any of these linebackers. I We would have to be aware of the next group, which is right in front, Ben Burkirvin and Blake Cashman and some of these other guys that tested really well. All right. I don't want to do it, but all right. What's all right. your next question? Hey, you got to read it. I have to read it? You're up. All right. Steve at S L E I C H T licked nine two six. He asks, "What is an ideal and realistic combination of free agent signings and draft picks?" Also, since I'm a UK fan, do you think it would be worth trading up to get Josh Allen? I'll start with the Allen question. Uh, I don't think it'd be worth it. Not in this heavy defensive line class. Now, if you're telling me they want to move to a three four defense, and I think when we have even question this move. Jake and I both got into the other outside linebacker spot opposite of Carl Lawson and said, well, who's the other guy? It's kind of a bunch of odd fits there. Uh, Allen would be an uh, ideal fit for that scheme. So would Brian Burns. And then when you start to get other guys in the mix, you start to say, eh, maybe we don't need to you know, trade up for a Josh Allen if Brian Burns is going to be there at 11. So no, I wouldn't, even though I think Allen is a really good prospect. I wanted him to really blow up the combine the way Burns did mm-hmm. because I like I like Allen's tape a lot, and I think his production metrics are off the chain. So that's, that's what I want in a guy I'm taking in top 10. Uh, having said that about the ideal um, 
he asked also what our ideal and realistic combination of free aging signings and draft picks. I think realistic is they sign a veteran uh, tight end, they they sign a backup swing tackle, and they go and sign a one-year guy type linebacker the way they typically do. Maybe it's Preston Brown again. And then they go in the draft and they target tackle first or linebacker first. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, actually, at all. I don't think I have anything to add. Okay, we can go on to the next question. It's from Logie B 513 He says, I like this one better than my first question. So Logie's got other questions, of course. He always does. Logie, he says, for the people who are really desperate to get it, to get rid of Dalton and therefore want Rosen, have they considered how similar they are in strengths and weaknesses? Perhaps you can compare the two. I hadn't really considered this because on tape, Rosen, you know, going into the eval season last year, I think everyone would probably be like, yeah, Rosen probably will be a better pro than Dalton. And now we have a really bad year of Rosen tape as a pro. I mean, what what are we saying in terms of strength and weaknesses? Rosen is, is Rosen bad post-snap? Are we talking arm strength? <laughs> I think Rosen probably has a better arm rate. I think Rosen probably has better potential in terms of pocket awareness and and making throws off script, which is something that we saw glimmers of from Dalton last year, and we'll see if that continues. Joe, can can you be more specific than I can? Yeah, I can compare the two um, because neither of them are overly big. Uh, They're not gunslingers. They're not pushing the ball downfield. I think Rosen has a little bit more risk in him but i also think dalton's risk uh has been beaten out of him over eight years and coached out of him so uh thinking of of where rosen may be obviously is a projection but coming out rosen was known for being a heady smart quarterback that's more accurate than strong arm but he would throw a nice deep ball and he has a little bit better of an arm than dalton did coming out i would say it's very comparable now Mm -hmm. but and you do get incrementally better in that area. I would also say that Dalton's arm strength and arm strength is a big, long conversation because it's not just how far you can throw the ball. It's how fast, how many RPMs you got on the rotation. Can you remain accurate at all three levels of the field? And I think that's where Dalton starts to struggle. Can you remain accurate when your feet aren't perfectly set? Can you remain accurate and throw on a, a hard ball when you're off your original launch point? And those are areas where Dalton struggles and his arm strength that isn't great as it is gets sapped and back down to average and he'll make a mistake or an accurate throw because of it. Accuracy a lot of times gets just thrown in an accuracy bucket, but it's because of your arm strength not being able to throw from different angles or different platforms. Now, going back to Rosen, uh, the pocket mobility and pocket presence is where I think he would have his best chance to surpass Andy Dalton as a passer in the NFL. He was very natural at it at, at Cal. He was very calm and cool. I'm sorry, UCLA, uh, very calm and cool in the pocket. Even when you watch him at and with Arizona, with a bad offensive line, he moves within the pocket, is willing to hold the ball. Dan Orlovsky put a, posted a play today. It's really good. He moves Bobby Wagner with his eyes, best linebacker in the league, comes back and hits the stick route uh, against the cover three. That is very good for a rookie quarterback. That's You don't see Dalton do that even now in year eight because he doesn't like to hold the ball and he doesn't like to test tight windows. So moving within the pocket, and Logie also asks, this is going to go on to another question. Logie asks, can I explain the difference between mobility and 
really mobility within the pocket and, and managing the pocket and navigating the pocket because Dalton's considered a, a decently mobile guy, or at least he was. You know, I don't think he had a rushing touchdown last year for the first time or, or two years in a row uh, now when he had a lot in, yeah. in the early, of his, early portion of his career. But mobility is different when you're taking off and running or deciding to run is different than being able to sidestep in the pocket, slide in the pocket, step up in the pocket, keeping your eyes up, keeping your base square, your feet pointed in the direction you need to go, making small course corrections within the pocket and still going through your reads. That is managing the pocket and moving within it. And some of the best quarterbacks at it aren't very mobile. Uh, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, it is a requirement to be able to move within the pocket and, and navigate the pocket. Andy Dalton does not do that well. Joe Flacco is terrible at it. If you get him to move his feet just a little bit, he's completely inaccurate, and that became his biggest weakness and why the Bengals were so good at at stopping the Ravens. Or was it his greatest strength in drawing pass interference? Yes, you're right. So a long-winded answer to this is the one area where I think Rosen would surpass Dalton is because of that pocket mobility. And, And again, this is something that we started to see from Andy Dalton a little bit in 2018 in those first four games where he was keeping his eyes downfield he was making plays off script and i i well, got i mean it. even in script too you know sure. there is the the, yeah. the staying in the pocket on script yeah well what, what i was getting to is we'll see if andy dalton can can carry that over it's the first time we saw it and it's the first time they've had a real outside of the organization quarterback coach come in and alex van pelt so now with three quarterback coaches who all probably, well, I don't know. Taylor probably wants him to, to do what he did before Alex Van Pelt got around. But it's always good to have, I mean, you, you watch Pat Mahomes, you always want a guy that's going to be able to keep his eyes downfield. And you started to see that from Andy Dalton last year. And so yesterday I had a Twitter conversation with one of the followers and he was saying, well, he reverted back to his normal self. Uh, you know, it's a pe- so the pessimistic side is, he can't make those changes permanent. The optimistic side is we saw those for the first time, and maybe that's a glimmer of hope. Yep, and it's possible. It's possible that, uh, you know, and I always say when people talk about sitting a rookie quarterback or, or to develop him, uh, you will revert back to what your natural throwing motion is, your natural reaction when you face live bullets. So if you can take away that, those live bullets coming at you, whether that's in practice or in, in actual games, are, are the real, you know, the real one that's going to set you back to you revert you into your your natural form. If you can just practice and work on it, and that's what they do in the offseason, a lot of these quarterbacks, and it'll carry into week three, four, or five, as we saw with Andy Dalton. But as the line broke down, as some of his receivers broke down, as he started to get hit, and this is going to happen, you start to revert back to who you, who he was. And that's very natural for any guy that's working on something this late in his career. Uh, it This is why it's really hard to take that big leap at year eight, nine, ten, because you pretty much are who you are. You can work on things and keep yourself sharp, but you have to do that now to maintain your level once you get into your 30s. It's not just taking the next step. It's maintaining good play. Yeah. Uh, next question now, moving on from Andy Dalton, who we could talk about for an entire episode, and we will. We haven't done our quarterback roster review yet. And then you'll get sick of us talking about Dalton, probably. Uh, next question comes from Michael at Marcelli underscore M on Twitter. He asks, well, welcome to the podcast for one. You're telling us you're a new listener, so we're glad you're here. Your first question is, what are your thoughts on drafting Jonah Williams at 11 and having him compete with Cordy Glenn at left tackle with the loser sliding to right tackle? 
And the second part of the question is, do you think they would consider Williams, I'm assuming this is Jonah, over at Oliver? I love the first question. Uh, I wanted to answer this as, as soon as he sent it because I just got finished. I wanted to do a little project where I could see, where I wanted to see uh, if there was any correlation between or any big difference or big positive impact between rookie tackles and versus rookie linebackers. And I was using pro football focus grades, looking at the snaps, looking at uh, their production from a traditional standpoint also. And rookie tackles tend to perform fairly bad unless you really just hit the ground running. And there's, as always, you're going to have guys that are really good when they when they come in and guys that may struggle early in their careers. And then there's the few in between, of course. But looking at the averages, they tend to give up about 36 pressures a year and about five sacks a year. And if we look at that compared to what Cordy Glenn did last year, I think it was 41 pressures and two sacks, the chances are a rookie tackle isn't going to be better or more dependable at left tackle. And if that's if you still value left tackle more than right tackle. Isn't going to be more dependable than Cordy Glenn was, even though he wasn't great at left tackle. So your best option may be to let that guy take his lumps at right tackle while Cordy Glenn's still under contract for two more years, and then you figure it out as you go. Now, if it's a fair competition and the guy just beats him because he's excellent year one, then sure, go ahead. But I think expectation-wise, it would be that Cordy Glenn is still your better tackle for 2019. And I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule, right? So, like, have a competition, sure. But if if Jonah Williams, you know, you might as well have a plan for these guys. It's kind of my thinking. Cordy Glenn's yep. played left tackle in, in the NFL. If you're drafting another tackle, you might as well just tell Jonah Williams, hey, come in, prepare for right tackle. If something happens, we need to move you to left. You played it in college. So, you know, hopefully you, you can step in in a pinch, right? Right. And maybe you move him to left then if you feel like the left tackle is more important than your right tackle, depending on maybe who, if it's Cleveland versus if it's, you know, Denver coming in the next week. Get sure. Miles Garrett on the left side, Von Miller on the right side. Yeah, uh, and the second part too, right? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, do you do you think they would consider Jonah Williams over Ed Oliver? Absolutely. I think, I think they probably – I think we have talked about Ed Oliver a lot. I don't think the Bengals are necessarily thinking about Ed Oliver nearly as much as we have talked about him, especially when you talk about these guys that are consensus top tackles. I think that's probably a lot more where they are. A lot of people seem to think that uh, Cody Ford is the guy at tackle, judging from Jim Turner's comments. So, I mean, and, and for me, Cody Ford is mostly a guard. I mean, I know he played tackle. He's not my first choice there. So, you know, I think the Bengals are looking hard at tackle. Jeff Hobson has reiterated this. He thinks they're looking hard at offensive and defensive line. So maybe they are looking at Ed Oliver. But he mentioned bigger defensive tackles. Yeah. And, and that's why I think of Oliver and the Bengals not taking Grady Jarrett a few years ago, and, and they took Marcus Hardison instead. Grady Jarrett was Atkins a— Atkins on the team. Right, so they should be more open to a small defensive tackle, right? But they kind of lucked in Atkins in the fourth round. It's not like they were, you know— Oh, standing for him in the second round or whatever it may be. But my point was uh, Jarrett was playing nose tackle for Clemson, so he didn't have a lot of splash plays, and you could see his effort in the in the, in the disruption he created, but the stats weren't gaudy. Uh, I think for Ed Oliver, you get a lot of that also, where he's playing nose tackle in a three-man line, and they're going to say, well, he's 285 pounds. He's not a nose tackle. This is a weird kind of tweener thing. And I could see him just say he's lower on our board because of it. Uh, 
meanwhile, I think they would like Jonah playing at Alabama, being productive, being a good run blocker, having the right mentality and attitude. And they're not, if one position is where they haven't relied heavily on athletic grading, it's, uh, it's offensive line. So I could see them looking past it, even though Jonah wasn't terrible, he was average, but you know, a reason why uh, they'd still be high on him. Yeah, this is probably a draft for the Bengals wish they had a couple of those top 15 picks so they could get a tackle linebacker because they have <laughs> they have severe needs this year. Yes, I've got the next question, right? And it's from just another nut. we got a lot of nuts today, but he, he's on Twitter at Stewart underscore E4US Vets. And he asks, what is your preference in the draft? Best player available? Positional need if it's a small reach. Also, is there any player in this year's draft class that you trade up into the top five for? And I think that second part there is really the good part of the question. Is there any player that I would trade up to the top five for? I hate trading up unless it's for a quarterback. That's usually what it is. I I don't want to do it unless it's for a quarterback, right? And then, so you're asking me, do I think Kyler Murray is worth trading up for? Because he's the only, I mean, maybe Dwayne Haskins, who I don't feel like I want to trade up for. Uh, I don't know, man. It's so expensive. It depends how far up I have to trade. Like, if I'm talking, I have to go to five, that's a lot cheaper than having to go to one. Because if you're talking about trading up to one, you're giving up future first-round picks, most likely. Yeah. And I don't really want to do that. I'll answer no. There's no one to trade up for, and yeah. because even if you say okay, Quinn and Williams, no, because look at this defensive tackle class. You can probably yeah. end up with a comparable player, Nick Bosa. No, because look at the defensive ends behind him. Uh, Devin White may be there, so the top linebackers may be there. If it's a tight end, then the next guy is maybe just as good or a better better prospect. Uh, receiver, no one worth it, and you, and you wouldn't want to trade it up in the Bengals scenario anyway. So offensive line, there isn't a tackle number one guy here that you really feel like man we got to go get him there's going to be five guys drafted in top 25 and they have all equal chances of hitting in my opinion so uh no there's no one worth trading up for and even if like the last question josh allen i I mentioned brian burns right after him now no you're not going to trade up no not not this year. The other part of the question bpa or positional need if it's a small reach i think positional need if it's a small reach is probably like we talked about earlier, it's probably pretty close to your BPA because your 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 board is always adjusted to your team needs anyway. So it depends on how small of a reach we're talking, but if it's you know four or five picks, yeah, take the need. If it's uh, again caveat being don't don't pass on the blue chipper. You got the next question. Jake. I do. Our last question comes from Logie five one three. Non football question. Power rank my favorite childhood Saturday morning cartoons. Batman, Spider-Man, X-Men, Justice League, and Pokemon. This is uh, also my Saturday 90s growing up, uh, even though Pokemon went into the 2000s also. But Batman animated series is number one. Not only was it fantastic then, it was very different, groundbreaking series. Uh, It's just the aesthetic of it, the look of it. Each individual story is really well written. The voice acting is superb. You can watch it now. It holds up tremendously. I've watched it with my kids in the last few years. Is it's that the, really. Is that the Mark what? Hamill Joker? Yes, it is. Yeah. And Harley Quinn was invented for this. And look what kind of, you know, character that is now all over the place. 
it is a really high production. And know the interesting about it is they they didn't do it on white. They didn't do the art on white paper. They did it on black to give everything a dark aesthetic, and uh, it comes off really great. So for me, I love that. I think it's that's number one. I would put Pokemon number two. There's no other merchandise wise in the last 25 years since Pokemon's been out. It's number one selling in merchandise because of the game, because of the show. It's beating Star Wars over 40 years. So when you think about that, it is huge across the world. It is a big name, big, big, big enterprise being Pokemon is well known by anyone now. And then when you think of movies coming out, games coming out, I mean, it's still crazy how big it is. The show wasn't that great, but it was a great launching for a brand that became a household name now 25 years later i'll round out the last i think x-men is next best i think spider-man also quality you could split those two number three and four i've watched both of them recently also and then justice league is the last one well it was good and i watched it because normally it came on right after batman uh it i didn't watch all of that i don't i have the least memories of the justice league yeah uh i will agree with you with batman first I like the dark, gritty stuff. That's my thing. That's my aesthetic. I'm into it. I think I probably put Spider-Man second. I think I put X-Men third. I also was never into the Justice League, but I really didn't like the Pokemon cartoon. So I'm going to put Justice League fourth and Pokemon last. So if these are video games and you ask me about it, Pokemon's first. I love the video games. They're fun. They're still good. Even the originals. You can play the originals now. They come out what ninety three, four, um, oh, yeah. and they're still honestly. It's still up. it's one of the best games I ever had, and still have. Still own the original one I had. One other uh, thing or, or t- notes to add: X Men. We played the opening um, song to that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic opening. True. true and Spider Man was higher on my list, and Mark Hamill played the uh, Hobgoblin and, and Spider Man also, but. Spider-Man was high on my list growing up until I learned that they couldn't use actual guns or couldn't show Spider-Man punching anybody. And I didn't know this until I was an adult. And I rewatched it with my kids. And I'm watching it. I'm like, yeah, this is some bullshit. Look at this. He can't punch anybody. And now it's kind of ruined for me. But it's still a really good series. There you have it. Those are our Saturday cartoons. I don't think I really watched any of these a ton. I think there's I don't remember what I watched on Saturday. I think I was playing video games usually when Saturday morning cartoons were on. I think I was playing, you know, my Sega Genesis or whatever it was more than I was watching TV. You still have your Sega Genesis? No. I have I have a Nintendo 64. Well, that's good. I have my Genesis. That's it's not that good. <laughs> no. No, it was that, great at the time, but yeah. it's not anymore. Because all those games have been reproduced because Sega went under. and yeah. um, So it's not, you know, you don't get the urge to play it as much. I'll die on a hill for Sega Dreamcast. Oh, way ahead of its time. Fantastic system. Uh, what are you doing this weekend, Joe? Anything exciting to tell our listeners about? No, I've got to go to work. Night shift, uh, so I'll be, up. I'll be up really late. If you're up at 2 a.m. drunk, go ahead and tweet at me. I'll probably answer it. That's an invitation you probably won't get too often. I would take Joe up on it. That has been our weekend mailbag, Bengals fans. That wraps up another great week. We had one of our best weeks in terms of downloads this week. You guys really like Mock Draft Monday. I think you'll probably continue to like it up until the draft. So another heartfelt thank you to our listeners. Thanks for everybody that's new who's interacting with us on Twitter. We've had a great first month, and we look forward to doing this for the foreseeable future. 
Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.